The craft world is incredibly romantic. And what better a city to experience that in? There is something and there will always be something that human hands can do better than any machine. And Omo Thabe wants to celebrate all those talented, gifted human beings that every day with their passion and competence craft the contemporary shapes of beauty. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. The lapping of water, the skill of handwork, human touch. For this episode, I am going to take you to Venice to explore Homo Faber. Those words introduce an exceptional exhibition more a biannual showcase, which explores work touched by human hands, and that is a luxury in itself. Next month, master artisans will demonstrate unique pieces of breathtaking work. They include stitched leather saddles, handmade violins, glass flowers, racing cars, and kimonos with painstakingly painted petals. World-renowned curators and designers have put together 15 exceptional exhibitions. There, visitors can discover how specific traditions handed down by generations inform how these masters work today. Behind the exhibition of creativity and craftsmanship is Johann Rupert, Richemont's chairman. His Michelangelo Foundation for Creativity and Craftsmanship founded this Homo Faber exhibition, which was first brought together in 2018. Johann Rupert revealed to me back then the wish he had discussed with Franco Cologni, co-founder of the Michelangelo Foundation. My dream is to build a database of master artisans. I want to create a portal for all of these people. We need to have a way of defining master craftsmen and to honour them, said the chairman, whose daughter, Hannelie Rupert, joins me as my first guest today. Hanali is integral to this event as board member of the Michelangelo Foundation and organiser of the Homo Faber event in Venice. My second guest for this episode is Alberto Cavalli, Executive Director of the Michelangelo Foundation. We will explain in great detail what there is to see and why craft is so important to us today. Hanali, I'm so excited at the idea of Homo Ferber and that there's going to be interesting things touched by human hands, something that I love. Tell me a little bit about the history of how that was set up. So I think Homo Ferber came about through a series of many conversations that my father had with Dr. Franco Coloni. And together they came up with this sort of vision of evolving their purposes into a foundation to support artisans. And the Homo Faber event is the living manifestation of this. And it's the second one that will be hosted in Venice and an opportunity to see the, some of the world's most incredibly skilled and accomplished artisans 
in one place? Um, I went to the first one and um, I felt that I, I never had enough time to see all the fantastic things that were on offer, although I was there quite a long time. What do you think I should go to first? I'm going to come, I'm going to go over that the wonderful water in this extraordinary city and I'm feeling excited and I'm feeling fresh and I'm saying I'm going to spend <laughs> three days here and see lots of things. Where should I start? Give me an idea. I think a mistake that many people made with the last Homophobe event was that they didn't allocate enough time. It really um, isn't something that can be seen and done in an hour or two and don't underestimate the amount of exhibitions. So I would aim to carve out at least a day to spend on the island, not have a a plan to go directly to one exhibition and then leave. Rather find yourself ambling around the island and leading yourself from one space to another and giving time and and um, to actually enjoy it. I mean, I'd, I'd say that all of the shows are unmissable. So, so I, I'd I hate to say you know what my favourites were last year because that might influence the way that you view it this year, because I hope it will be completely different and unexpected. And we also this year have Homo Faber in Chita, which is uh, a, a sort of Homo Faber, Faber path in the city of Venice to lead you to some of the most incredible artisans, living artisans in the city. So so really think of it as, as a real two-day event. So as well as the actual exhibition and people themselves, you have uncovered and are going to show people where they can have these kind of works done today by people who are actually making a living out of it, whose perhaps mothers and fathers and grandparents had also worked on this and they're still in Venice, maybe in the same place that their family always have lived and worked in. So I think that can be quite a... It's quite romantic, really, isn't it? I, I think... Um... The craft world is incredibly romantic. And what better a city to experience that in? Of course, your father, Johann Rupert, is an enormous businessman with the Richemont Luxury Group. And um, it's very interesting to me that he should also be so involved with these small objects. I mean, some of them that I saw last time were really one man or one woman, probably, um, making something with human hands. And I really do believe in that. And is that something as you being brought up as a child? Did you have that sense that there are perhaps things in your home that were made by one particular person? I think that definitely in my house, um, on both my mother's side and my father's side, coming from um, families that appreciated the arts and, and, and crafts, we had a reverence for things that were, that, that were handmade, not necessarily by one person, sometimes by you know, many. And I think at Homo Faber, we also work with artisans who work in, in a sort of small factory context. It's, and then, you know, one individual, one object. But definitely, there, there's always been an appreciation for the skill that that goes into making something. Um, can I ask you one other thing? You have made in South Africa, using human hands, the um, Akapi handbag um, which are really exceptional and they are definitely made by human hands. Do you feel that one of the joys of having been brought up part of the time in Africa means that you really understood a craft done by people brought up like that as their parents and grandparents and heaven knows how many people before them? And do you feel happy about having been able to spread the skills and the involvement of these people a little bit around the world? I mean, it gives me great joy and it's definitely been something I've 
I've kind of seen and 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 one of the things we have in at least in African crafts is a very direct link to the organic nature of the material that goes into the craft. Um, so that's something that particularly interests me, um, the materiality of things. And I think that is something that's increasingly being lost by people because if you order it online and it's made in a factory with one part coming from one part of the world and another from somewhere totally entirely different, it's compounded and definitely has given me an appreciation for that. But I hope we'll be able to investigate that further looking at, at different arts um, crafts from around the world at Homo Faber. Do you think that your father and yourself and all the people who work for Homo Faber are in a way saving things that otherwise would be lost forever, just in the nick of time, as people put down their hands and turn to factories? You are encouraging them to come back, come back to the land, come back to themselves and to touch things rather than just put them through machines. It definitely is, as you say, would hopefully be in the nick of time. There are these sort of generational skills that are dying out. But there is also the desire from people to save them. And, and, and I think that's not a one man job. I think we're, what we're trying to do is to help facilitate for the artisans to be able to showcase and um, and sell their products to these people who do really want to use them and incorporate living crafts into their lives. I can't yeah. wait for Homo Faber and for the beginning of April. And um, I think it will be very eye-opening for myself and for thousands of other people who are lucky enough to see this exhibition. And congratulations for being a part of it. Well, thank you, Susie, and great to chat to you. We'll see you there for a gelato. <laughs> Thank you, Hanali, for indulging me in the romance of craftsmanship. Now we are going to hear, in an academic way, Alberto Cavalli, the Executive Director of the Michelangelo Foundation. He will tell us more about the beauty of the world of craft and his aim to promote, protect and perpetuate the métier d'art of excellence, bringing them into the future. Alberto, this April, the island of San Giorgio Maggiore in Venice will be transformed. It will be filled with over 350 designers and master artisans from over 30 countries, spread over 15 exhibitions with 22 curators and designers. I can hardly add them up and there's a lot more. There's Japanese national living treasures and over 400 unique works. What an extraordinary feat all this is. And it's all in time for the event, Homo Faber, which is organised by the Michelangelo Foundation. Tell me, Alberto, in essence, the purpose and the importance of this coming event. The purpose of uh, Homo Faber is already, I would say, in its payoff, which says crafting a more human future. And in order to do that, uh, our aim is to celebrate, to champion and to celebrate fine craftsmanship and human talent at its best. We do believe that there is something and there will always be something that human hands can do better than any machine. And Omo Faber wants to celebrate all those talented, gifted human beings that every day with their passion and competence craft the contemporary shapes of beauty. It's really extraordinary what you've achieved. 
And Johann Rupert, the founder of the Richemont Luxury Group, is a major force behind this event. I came to your inaugural, I'm sure you remember, um, that event in 2018, and I heard Johann Rupert's opening speech. He was explaining the meaning of Homo Faber. That is the concept that human beings are able to control their fate and their environment as a result of using these tools. Is this the essence of the upcoming event? This is the essence of the upcoming event, as our founder, Mr. Rupert, had said back in 2018, and as he every day invites us to really consider. Uh, Homo Faber already indicates in Latin the, the essence of this, man who men and women, of course, that thanks to their talents and their competence and their passion, and I would say their authenticity, are able every day to craft their own lives. If they are artisans, this is transformed into those beautiful objects that adorn our daily lives. Can they be decorative or functional? But even all of those who are not artisans have something to learn from this. We always say, think like an artisan, live like an artisan with passion, with purpose, with a sustainable approach to life and be happy with what you do. It is quite extraordinary, isn't it, that handwork has taken on a new life. There's really a powerful resurgence in attitude towards handmade things. How can Homer Faber draw on that movement and make people across the world proud to be working with a fellow man or woman and not just working all the time with a machine? You have said a very precious and important word, Susie, being proud of, of, of what you do, of what you can achieve. And it's true, it's very much true that we live in a very digitalized world. But at the same time, as we say, the more digital our lives become, the more analog our dreams remain. We will always need around us the expression of something made with love, made with care, made with purpose. It is very much true that after decades of oblivion, uh, professions related to the artistic and creative transformation of materials seem to be back under the spotlight. We see this as an extremely important cultural movement. So it's not just uh, uh, the, the importance given to the act of making. It is the pivotal importance given to the essence of why you make things with your hand in a world where everything can be mechanized. So why? Why do you do that? Because we are humans. We were born to consciously and creative transform the world around us. And we do believe that conveying this message to the new generations, so inspiring in them the desire to be the authors of the new and contemporary forms of beauty is a, a very precious and important message to, to spread and to convey. You're so passionate and convincing in what you say. But I'm going to ask you an awkward question now. How easy is it to get the new young Gen Z to believe in the power of human hands? In Italy, we know it's an extraordinary work can be found. But I see these workers and very often they're people who are coming to the end of their careers. 
So can handwork really be a dream for the young generation? Can handwork offer opportunities of an integral growth and uh, also of dream to the young generations? This is a very important question, Susie. We do believe it can and how easy it is to convey this message. Well, I have to say that from our observatory, we are assisting to a very important change in the attitude of the young generations towards this kind of profession. They seem to understand that not being able to do anything is a form of slavery. You are enslaved by technology. You are enslaved by things you think you can control, but that actually are taking over you while expressing your talent by, you know, changing the world around you, transforming materials that everybody can have at disposal, but that only you can shape in such a way as to make them extraordinary. Well, this is a message that touches this generation. You know, uh, for people of my age, the future was still rich in promises. For people who are now 20, the future can be a threat. This is the legacy that we are leaving them. But at the same time, though, this is pushing this young generation to investing on something certainly more sustainable, certainly more interactive, and certainly more authentic. This is a term that is very dear to the Michelangelo Foundation, authenticity. What does it mean that, you know, millennials look for authenticity? Well, they look for a, a direct and clear way of expressing themselves. And craft can offer a very inspiring and important way for them to understand that a job is not only a way to get a salary at the end of the month, that we are not insects, you know, that keep repeating the same thing again and again. We were born to, you know, create the beauty that we see around us. And we believe that this generation, however connected, you know, with the digital world, and even if they always have like five screens around between smartwatches and iPhones and laptops, but nevertheless, when they encounter the work of the artisans through the object or through the gestures, something clicks in them. Well, I must say that is very heartwarming and, and encouraging. Tell me, Homo Faber champions, contemporary craftspeople all over the world are promoting a more human, inclusive and sustainable future. Do you feel that people are adopting then more of an what should we say, an ethical attitude in luxury, because that would really change things if people deep down are feeling a need for something more than what they have at the moment. We do believe that every great change starts from a personal encounter with something that makes you change your mind and that every great revolution starts from the top, from the culture, from, you know, your ideas. So the fact that the world of luxury is now very much acknowledging and recognizing that, of course, the product is the king. It has to be beautiful and admirable, etc. But that also every single step of the process as well must be beautiful, sustainable, etc. Well, 
luxury has always been related to creativity and craftsmanship. So the fact that now all of the most important players in this field are really acknowledging and investing on a more sustainable approach to their creation and, and, and to their production is of pivotal importance. Because this underlines what uh, something that the Michelangelo Foundation insists on, that beauty is very much connected to meaning. Something is beautiful also if it is meaningful, if it has a sense, that is to say you can touch it, feel it, fine, but also that has a meaning for you and that has a direction. We cannot accept anymore products that are labeled as luxury product, but that behind them have a horror story or an obscure story, objects that you know little about. We don't say luxury objects, we say luxury goods. And in this word, good, there is already the essence of what they should be. Something well-made, something that creates happiness and joy in those who make it and in those who purchase it. So we are happy to see that all the most important players have understood this. And this is very heartwarming because it paves the way to a more profound change. Alberto, you make me feel very excited, is not the word, but really deeply involved in your ideas and imagining that we're going to see that for the actual event. And I'd like to ask you about that, about Homo Faber. Will visitors be given a chance to experience the craftsmanship in Venice while they're there? And and what kind of crafts will they see? I I want the, the details. I imagine exploring all the artisanal businesses tucked away in this in the city's little canals. Tell me more about the Homo Faber in Chita app, which will be launched so that people can craft their own itinerary around Venice. Homo Faber in Chita is, uh, we call it a kind of a fuori salone, referring to the successful manifestation that happens in Milan during the Salone del Mobile. Homo Faber in Chita is uh, a way to invite all of the visitors of the Homo Faber event, but I would say everybody who happens to be in Venice, to meander through the, the streets of Venice in order to discover all these ateliers, workshops, galleries, collections, exhibitions that celebrate, once again, our artisanal excellence in, in a very authentic and direct way. Venice... Uh, in a way, suffers from a flux of, of tourists that is sometimes overwhelming, even its, its beauty. We are inviting people to experience Venice in a different way, rather than just, you know, going from the railways to Rialto and San Marco and, and back. We are inviting them to discover what keeps the city alive and what has always kept the city alive. When John Evelyn visited Venice in the 18th century, he was already reporting about the rich artisanal activities, you know, happening in the, in the city of Venice and revolving around the creation of outstanding products. These ateliers have not gone, you know, have not disappeared. They are still there, but it is important to discover them and to give back to the artisans their centrality in the identity of a city like Venice. The Patriarch of Venice invited us to uh, help them in a concrete way. So we said to ourselves, okay, somebody's coming to Venice to see the Ovo Faber event. They will see the 15 exhibitions at the Giorgio Cini Foundation. And then, and then why not inviting them to really go and see these workshops? Maybe not easy to find, 
but all the treasures are sometimes hidden, no, aren't they? So we are um, really inviting people to visit Venice the homophobic way, as we say, knock at the doors and enter into the workshops or in the atelier or in a hotel that is putting up an exhibition of crafts just for us. It's all contemporary, it's all happening now, and it's all happening under your eyes. The artisans do not need, uh, I would say, to be treated like panda at the zoo. They are talented human beings who are happy when they can express the best they can. And if you can express it in front of a person who's interested in that, wow, I mean, that happiness is conveyed into, into what you do. Um, I think also that this time, because homophobia will be involved with Japan, tea ceremonies and other beautiful things in Japan, that there is a sense also that you are bringing more than what you can find in Venice or you'll bring it to Venice in order that people can understand things which are not alien but are very difficult for people to understand. And that Japanese tea ceremony is one of them. I've watched it many times in Japan and I've never really in my heart been able to understand what is really so beautiful, important about it. Um, will that, that be shown, the Japanese tea ceremony, or how will you express the Japanese part of homophobia? Japan is the guest of honor of uh, this edition because in Japan, since 1950, those uh, gifted human beings, uh, uh, holders of an intangible know-how in both the uh, um, performing arts and the decorative arts are named national living treasures. We loved the idea that a human being can be a living treasure. And so we wanted to celebrate this Japanese attitude of uh, identifying the soul and the essence of a country around those people who convey its purest traditions. And this is why we invited Naoto Fukazawa, Rinko Kawauchi, Tokugo Uchida to help us selecting some of the Japanese national living treasures whose works will be exhibited in Omofaber. Their ateliers have been photographed by Rinko Kawauchi, so the photos will also be displayed. And on top of this, uh, the presence of Japan will be quietly present throughout the exhibition, including the possibility for the visitors to experience it directly. So there will be the Ikebana Atelier, so you can uh, subscribe and you can have a kind of an hour of Ikebana laboratory with the Venetian chapter of the Ohara school, which is a very ancient one. And you can also assist to the tea ceremony performed by a Japanese tea master. What is so special about this is that even if the objects are quite unassuming, but behind this modest appearance, there is such a depth of meaning where every gesture is precisely expressing with no emphasis, but with a lot of dignity, something special about our being there with our full consciousness and our full attention. The importance of, of celebrating Japanese crafts, in our opinion, is, is also about this in a world where we are all distracted by a number of, uh, of, of things, of noises, let's try to concentrate 
and be present to what you're doing. Don't let yourself be distracted by fleeting appearance and look for the meaning. Well, Alberto, I tell you, I'm going to be looking at one thing and I'm going to be distracted by it, I hope, and that is the element of um, fashion. There's a fashion pavilion, isn't there, created by Judith Clark, the Professor of Fashion and um, Museology at uh, the University of the Arts in London. And um, her work is titled Gin... I can't say this. Say it for me. Genealogies of Ornament. <laughs> I'm going to have to practice there. But I do know what we, I'm going to see. I believe that there are 14 luxury maisons showing everything from kimonos, what you're talking about, to jewellery, to perfume, all in a renovated school. That's going to be a really interesting area and I'm sure it will attract a lot of people. What's behind it? What did you want to bring there? Judith Clark is back for more. As you can remember, she, she was already one of the curators at the 2018 edition of Homo Faber in the disaffected swimming pool of the Cheney Foundation. She had put together an impressive uh, display of a dialogue between craft and fashion. Now, when I say she's back for more, it's because we have asked her to put together in uh, this building, which has just been renovated. It used to be a school of crafts that Mr. Cini had created in the 50s. And uh, then it, it had been closed and for decades had not been used. Now the Giorgio Cini Foundation has renovated it and for the first time it will be open to the public during Homo Faber, and with this incredible show created by Judith Clark. Fifteen maisons, each of which is very well known, uh, from Cartier to Van Cleef and Arpels, from Hermès to Buccellati, etc., including Chiso, a Japanese maison that, craft, that has been crafting kimonos for like for 100 years. They will uh, be present with an artisan at work in this beautiful uh, gallery overlooking the lagoon. Each of them will have an artisan at work performing a specific métier of each maison. But on top of this, what Judy has imagined and done is to link and to connect the contemporary creations of these luxury maisons with their own past passing through the ornaments. So there will be pieces, historical pieces from each maison, but also, I would say, pieces that have inspired this uh, sparkle of creation. And there will be a genealogy line connecting all of them. So a petal hand-painted on a Japanese kimono, you might find it again as a, a carved gem on, on the Cartier object. And then again, as a precise sign of engraving in the Langezone watch, this is what luxury is about. It's about the culture of ornamentation, where ornamentation does not mean like excessive decoration, means artistic expression, which is nourished by artistic research and which has to be revealed gently but profoundly to uh, all of those who believe that beautiful objects have a soul, have an importance, have a meaning. It will be one of the most, I would say, immersive experiences to discover the true essence of luxury. Alberto, you make me feel really, my mouth is watering um, at the very idea of this. But um, also, I know that you have other 
star curators um, at Homo Ferba. Um, tell me what perhaps one or two of the others are going to produce that are really you believe will move people. Well, the American artist Robert Wilson is recreating in the swimming pool his own tribute to craftsmanship in theatre and opera by restaging a, a kind of a new vision of his famous Madama Butterfly. So Puccini's opera dedicated to Japan that revolutionized the world of opera in Paris in 1993. So imagine that after a long corridor dedicated to the celebration of Japanese performing arts, you find yourself in a stage designed by Bob Wilson with his props and with his lighting, discovering all the magic that happens every time that the curtain opens. Then we have Stefano Boeri and Jean Blanchard who have once again put together an impressive Wunderkammer with 150 objects selected from the most, I would say, some of the most talented artisans in Europe that are already transmitting their know-how. In the room, we will always have six artisans at work. Tapiwa Matsin, the British curator, uh, had to face a bizarre challenge because we asked her to create a tea room. So it's an exhibition in its own right. You can get in and admire all the artisanal pieces, but you can also use everything. You can sit on the armchairs, sip a tea uh, sitting at a table, go through a magazine on a sofa, play chess. So everything will be experienced by the visitors. And this can be said for all the exhibitions. There's something else that really um, interests me um, called the Young Ambassadors. I know you're always thinking about the future and education in the future. And one noble feature which must be part of your educational side is the Young Ambassadors. A hundred selected students from all around the world. You're going to fly them in and they'll be fully trained to take people through the exhibits so that it won't be a question of vaguely looking at things and trying to understand them. They'll really be somewhere there to do it. Is it to encourage, in general, the cultural movement towards craft? Is that the idea? This is very much the idea. These young girls and boys that we have selected from the best European school of design, of, of arts and crafts, they represent the community of the makers of the future. We do believe that offering opportunities to talented young people is, is one of the most important missions of the Michelangelo Foundation. And we are really giving these girls and these boys, uh, we believe, an important opportunity to come and meet the curators, meet the collectors and the uh, connoisseurs that will come to Amalfaber to visit, encounter these contemporary objects that represent something extraordinary and meet each other after two years of isolation. We believe it will be a gift to meet like-minded people who come from this diversity of countries and, and training and being able to exchange with them. Today, creating a community means empowering people. Um, in the end, you know, when in 1852, Prince Albert created what is now the Victorian Albert Museum. He did that because he wanted to bring in front of the designers, the artisans, the public, the real thing. So here too, without of course, you know, comparing us to Prince Albert, but we wanted to offer to these 100 talented young people the opportunity to meet the makers, see the objects, get inspired, and feel reassured that the choice they made when they decided to become 
artisans or, or, or any way to develop a career in this field was a good one. So, Prince Alberto, tell me what else I will be able to see that you're offering when I visit you in April. Uh, you will be able to see another room of the Giorgio Cini Foundation that had been closed for decades. Uh, it's called Sala Messina. It used to be an ancient chapel opening onto the Cypress Cloister. And we have asked Michele De Lucchi uh, to install in that room an exhibition dedicated to paper and calligraphy. There we will have artisans at work, the artisans of Mont Blanc doing the, the nib crafting. There will be an interactive uh, atelier of origami where the people, the, the public can try their hands. There will be like paper gowns by Isabelle de Bosch-Grave inspired by Mariano Fortuny. There will be a wallpaper designed by Michele De Lucchi and realized by the boys of the San Patrignano rehab community and a variety of the most impressive objects made in paper than you can imagine. Uh, there will be a couple of very good interpretations of uh, the historical heritage seen through creative eyes. So Zanellato and Bortotto that have revisited the mosaic floors of the San Marco Basilica to transform them into decorative panels. And Sebastian Herkner that has reimagined the decorative pattern that is in front of the San Giorgio Basilica to ask to 18 uh, artisans in Europe to remake that same pattern in as much artisanal techniques. So this can really let you have an idea of what the artisans can do for you. And then the porcelains selected by David Cameo and Frédéric Baudet, um, and uh, the um, incredibly, I would say, uh, refined vases uh, created by Venini and designed by world-acknowledged flower designers. You know, it, it will be both a discovery and a rediscovery. Each object will reveal something to the eyes of, of the visitors because every object is imbued with the authentic and beautiful stories of the makers. I see that you've already started a Homo Faber guide. Tell me more about it because it sounds so exciting. There's so many things to do and see. You've got to tell me how you imagine that people can get round and see everything they want to see. The Homo Faber guide was launched uh, more or less one year ago and uh, you, you can download it as an app. It already encompasses more than 1,300 artisans throughout Europe. And in the next few months, it will also include some non-European countries on which we are working. So it's a, it's a project that is always, you know, in becoming and in, and in transformation. We wanted to launch it because we have realized that when people go around, when you visit a city, you really want to meet the authentic spirit of the city. You go to Vienna. You might have seen Vienna 15 times. So with the Homo Faber Guide, we invite you to discover another Vienna, the Vienna of the makers, of the artisans, of those ateliers where maybe you can also try your hands at doing something. Sometimes these ateliers are not so visible. They are tucked away uh, in, uh, you know, in some streets, not necessarily in the city center. So the Homo Faber Guide is a way to invite everybody to go and discover the contemporary makers of beauty in the European territories and soon 
also um, outside of Europe. If you can travel, you can go and visit. If you cannot travel, you can anyway get inspired and maybe contact them. If you can come or you want to come to Homofaba, who, who is it actually open to? Can anybody come? Homofaber is, uh, of course, open to everybody. There will be a ticket to buy this time at a very political price of 10 euro, and it, it can already be purchased on the Homofaber website. The, the, the ticket was introduced mainly to make sure that every visitor can have uh, a very peaceful and uh, in interesting and inspiring visit. Four years ago, there were days when we had like Too, too many visitors. It's a nice problem to have, but anyway, it's a problem. So uh, we will allow no more than I would say 3,000 visitors per day, also because we have to comply with the, with the COVID restrictions and indications. So everybody is welcome. Of course, we will be very happy to uh, welcome the, the young generations, all of those who feel uh, a love and an interest for the craft and needless to say all of those who will be in Venice for the opening of the Art Biennale. When we think of this terrible pandemic it seems as though this could really be something that lifts us out of this dreary world that we've been living in for two years but lifts us out not just by going around and having fun although I think we all want that but to come to something so meaningful so with such a purpose to it so interesting, such an example of what one person can do, it seems to me that you have hit exactly what is going to be needed by April of this year. Thank you very much. We are conscious about the fact that everybody has gone through hard times, including the artisans. But we are also conscious that the time is ripe to make choices. Every day, each of us can choose. What do you want for yourself, for your home, uh, for yourself and around yourself? Do you want objects that are just things? Or do you want objects that express who you are, what you want to be, and that really nourish the, the, the world around you? Omofaber is a, is a celebration of all of this, and it's an invitation to everybody to change their mind about crafts. It's, of course, craft is expensive, but maybe less expensive than you think. Why don't you knock at an artisan's door and start a dialogue with, with them? Uh, in a world that goes toward homologation, we want to celebrate uniqueness, difference, and diversity, which is expressed by the talents Of, of the master artisans and of the rising stars that we have selected. Because this year, Homo Faber is very much dedicated not only to the acknowledged maestro, but also to all of those that belong to a younger generation, but that are already making their voice heard in this field. Alberto Cavalli, you have lifted my heart and I can't wait for it all to happen in reality. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susie. It, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you in 2018, and we will be delighted to welcome you again in, in April. Thank you, Hanalee and Alberto, for your exemplary explanations. Homo Faber means man the maker in Latin, and I, for one, cannot wait to visit the island of San Giorgio Maggiore in Venice this April to be immersed into the sophisticated work and world of the artisan. 
it sounds like it will be transformed by the inspiring and highly skilled, especially with its focus on Japan. I know my first stop will be with Judith Clark at the Fashion Pavilion and I'll culminate the trip with a walk around Venice to explore the craftsmanship hidden across the city. Homo Faber 2022 will be held in Venice from the 10th of April to the 1st of May 2022. For more information, go to homofaber.com. Enjoy! Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Yerd Zuba, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.